the same way. Do you hear that? Gela asked. Ziri listened to the hoot of a nightbird, the warming metal under fire, boots scraping against a ramp. Nothing that wasn't there before. Shh, Gela whispered softly. The Jedi closed her eyes and turned her ear away from their battleground and toward the rest of the Badlands. Crimson slashed across the base of the Blue Knight and illuminated a moving beast. By the old gods, Hicks the bearded farmer rasped. The giant man had been fearless enough to fire at her, but now he staggered back and fell off the ramp, taking the remaining soldiers with him. At first, Ziri thought it might be one of the Arany stags, with their long necks and massive black horns. But as it crept closer, she saw it was a scourge of scorpions. Hundreds of them walking across Fontu's arms, shoulders, his torso. The biggest one nested in the soft brown top of his curls. He was smiling as he approached. She felt the urge to run to him and make certain that he was all right, but something stopped her. Should she show affection? She didn't know what was appropriate for an engagement such as theirs. Thank the old gods you're safe, she said, and hoped her voice was not too tired to show her sincerity. Krell's beard, Greylark exclaimed, returning to complete their cohort. How'd you get over there? Fontu lowered his arms to the ground, creating a human land bridge for the scorpions. It was the strangest thing. I fell into the tunnels beneath the ground, and I came upon a nest clogging the entrance. At first, I was terrified, but then I kept going, and they clung along for the ride. As the scorpions scurried across the ground, some of the older prisoners whispered, Thile fire maid! She rejoiced at the words. Now more than ever, she needed the approval of her people, even if they had tried to kill her. What does that mean? Gela asked. Fontu's smile fell as he rose to his feet and took in the scene. She'd have to tell him everything as soon as they were on the move again. For now, she wanted to remember that moment. Iram's son, flanked by a desert dawn. We mean of the scorpion, she said. Of Arano. Axel Greylark wanted to get out of the Badlands as soon as possible. He told himself that was why he helped rearrange the cargo to make a temporary brig, and not because he'd hated the look on Gela's face when he'd shot and killed the Irami soldiers about to attack them. He didn't need to be judged by a Jedi, and he didn't need his actions questioned, especially when he had saved her life. As they finished loading up the Amaryllis, Axel told Fontu everything he'd missed while he was making friends with scorpions. Horrified at their discovery, the young Irami prince said, That's unthinkable. He just shrugged and excused himself to his tiny room. He regretted ever agreeing to get himself involved in Iram and Erino's mess, 
no matter the prize waiting for him at the very end. He forced himself to forget the day. Gela sailing across the cave in a magnificent arc. Forget the heat of his blaster. The shock on the faces of the Irami soldiers as they fell. He wondered if his mind would ever get too crowded to hold memories he'd rather forget. His mother was an expert at it. She walked through the halls of their Coruscant Tower, the halls of the Senate, as if nothing and no one had ever hurt her. Perhaps, perhaps, he was more like her than he'd ever imagined. As Axel regained his composure, he undressed and wedged himself into the narrow shower tucked in the corner. When he was done with this place, and he hoped that day came sooner than later, he was certain he'd never get its dust out of his orifices. He lathered himself in soap and had only begun to rinse through his hair when the water shut off. Ration complete, a warbling voice chirped. Ration, he spat. Oh, this day couldn't possibly get worse. Quinn flew to his eye level and offered up Axel's flask. For once, he was not in the mood. Can you beg one of the others for some water? His droid flew out of the room, only to return moments later. Axel stuck his suds-covered torso out of the shower stall to find his droid wasn't alone. Gela chased after Quinn, trying to pry a canteen out of its grip. When she realized she wasn't in Axel's room, her eyes flared with fury. I can explain, he said, but didn't move any further. As a general rule, he never exposed himself to anyone who didn't ask. He retreated into the stall and rested the back of his head against the wall. I didn't know there's a water ration. We brought them all that water, she sighed, somehow righteous and exasperated at the same time. You do know what a drought is, don't you? He was too tired to laugh and managed to rub suds into his eyes. You'd be surprised. I've met plenty of leaders who live in luxury while their people suffer. Please, Gela, I'll give you whatever you want, within reason. Then he added, just for good measure, Please, I did save your life. A better man wouldn't have reminded her of it, but he was who he was. The ration sensor was practically gloating at Axel when he heard the knock on the other side. He cracked the shower stall door open. She handed him the canteen, and he made quick work of using the tepid liquid to rinse his eyes. When he was finished, she was still there, leaning at his threshold, with her back turned to give him privacy. He chuckled darkly, then yanked on his robe and sat on the edge of his bed. He cast a long glance at Quinn, who let out an innocent warble. Gela glanced over her shoulder and took back her canteen. Thank you, he said. He watched her face, the tension around her eyes when she inspected something. Currently, it was the vintage chrono on the thin shelf and his family ring. He was very good at reading people. 
and he'd noticed that Gela looked at everything like she was trying to make sense of it. She'd done it at the funeral procession and at the dinner after, and at every village and outpost they'd visited. He wondered if she knew she was doing it. He pressed his fingers against the ghost of an ache in his chest. Is there anything else I can help you with, Jedi? I want to know why you're so antagonistic toward Jedi, she said, the last words soaked in the same derision he normally used. He knew the longer he spent on this mission with her, the more it might come up. Everything that had to do with the events of his father's passing threatened to rise to the surface, but he couldn't do it. Not in this state. I will, I promise, he said. But not tonight. I have a million useless facts stored up for moments such as these. Her brow furrowed in confusion. She likely thought he was being literal. Why don't you tell me what you meant when you said, it's happening again? She broke their eye contact. Not tonight. Why was he even entertaining her? He was exhausted. He was beginning to regret ever agreeing to return to the Outer Rim. Frustrated, he raked his fingers through his damp hair and changed the subject. Do you believe in this mission, Gela? That the heirs will make it? Those are odd questions. She rubbed the side of her neck. She'd fought like hell tonight. He could admit that. It matters that Ziri and Fontu believe in it. Axel shook his head. I could never do it. Mary, under such pressure. Well, you are all very different, she said. They are selfless. And I am selfish, he stated with a grin on his lips. She glanced down at her canteen, as if that was proof. He chuckled low. It was a good reminder of how matter-of-fact Jedi were with their words. Good night, Jedi Natai, he said wearily. He had no energy for more. Good night, Axel Greylark. The moment she was gone, Axel stretched out on the bed and stared at the dark. The Rook, Erano. The Honorable Viceroy Farrell burst into the meeting office, trailed by his son, Rev. Several guards rushed in, blubbering apologies to the monarch and his guests. What is the meaning of this? Iram's queen asked. The Viceroy would not acknowledge any presence but that of his own ruler, no matter what he'd done. It was not enough to choose strangers over a lifetime of fealty to Erano. The self-righteous Jedi remained the tall statues they were, though the one who questioned him slowly moved a hand to his weapon, resting it there as if it were the Viceroy who was a threat when the only threats to the monarch and their planet were the strangers in that room. Feral, the monarch began. The Viceroy lowered his head in apology. Your Grace, you cannot keep me in the shadows. I am still the Viceroy. 
Queen Adriala took two steps around the hollow table, her long nails tapping against the surface. Good. Let her be nervous. He knew she was hiding something. And in the end, he would uncover the truth and set their planet free from the ridiculous bargain orchestrated by the Jedi and the Republic. Monarch Albarin, the Viceroy said, standing firmly in place. I've served you my entire life. My son has dedicated his life to the only thing he's ever wanted. To fight for our future. I am aware of that. Monarch Albaran at least had the decency to look him in the eye. Then why am I being treated like a criminal? You confessed to spying on and stealing from the Jedi during a peace summit, the Monarch said. He'd had to confess. It was a testament to how lost his friend had become in his old age. He never imagined he'd see the day where the Queen of Iram, a Republic Chancellor, and Jedi commanded more respect than the feral name. Monarch Albaran, the towering Syrian Jedi began, with that pedantic flourish all Jedi seemed to possess. Do not keep your Viceroy at bay because of us. We understand it was a trying situation. Feral would have scoffed in his giant face if he could get away with it. Likely a Jedi deception to keep an eye on him. Do not patronize me! Viceroy Feral blustered. I will summon you when I require your counsel. Monarch Albaran turned toward the flickering hollow projection of the surface of both their planets and every drop shipment of relief being distributed and a third image just out of his view. The route Captain Albaran and her betrothed were on. That is all I ask, my monarch. He bowed low to show his penance for his supposed blunder, then turned on his heel and marched out. When the Viceroy and his son were safely out of the palace and in the busy market, he finally allowed himself a moment to breathe to remember what was at stake. Everything he did was for Arano, and that was what mattered. They wandered past the like of beggars and street musicians. A couple of beings dressed in tattered gray and blue clothes tried to make eye contact with any poor sap who wanted to listen to their proselytizing about Jedi. He had enough to worry about. They stopped in front of a fruit vendor. The cacophony of the market was enough cover for their conversation. Did you get a good look at it? He asked his son. Rev Farrell nodded, reaching into a bin of starfruit and plucking one. They turned to go, and the vendor stammered after them, asking for payment. The Viceroy tapped the sigil and medals that decorated his chest kept walking. The audacity of the man. Under a stone archway, a brazen girl with a buzzed haircut shook a can of paint and scrawled graffiti on the stone wall. The Viceroy bared his teeth in a smile as he read the words, 
Rise, true children of Erano. Yes, father, Rev said. We know exactly where the princess will be. She will never see us coming. Chapter 21, Aboard the Amaryllis, Erano. As the Amaryllis sped between the high desert ridges of Erano's northern villages, the news of Captain Albaran's betrothal and the end of the Forever War was received with cautious hope. Word was even beginning to spread of Ziri's victory in a rite of challenge, which brought further admiration. For his part, Fontu Zen was welcomed, with his sweet, charming smile and eagerness to heave crates of medical supplies, roll barrels of grain, or simply hold a screaming toddler while its parents unburdened themselves to their princess. Days slipped into nights, and their small crew's routine became a great comfort to Gela, who loved routine. In some ways, rising at daybreak and meditating had stayed the same. Sometimes, Ziri and Fontu joined her. It fascinated her the mundane details they wanted to know about temple life. Yes, she had her own room. Yes, she was given a small allowance. Yes, she had more than one set of robes. One morning, when they were a few hours away from the mining village of Urano, Gela climbed up to the deck. She'd slept restlessly and blamed Axel Greylark playing music at all hours of the night. Because he'd made every possible effort to avoid even looking at her since the night at the caves, she thought he was doing it on purpose. Morning, Gela said, then noticed that the sails were pulled back. Are those clouds? Ziri smiled from behind her cup of bitter Erany tea made of the severed heads of desert nettles. She tilted her face toward the gray, overcast sky. Let us hope so. It will be a novelty only having to worry about something like rain. Gela joined the princess and poured herself some tea. She sensed Ziri's dread rising like the tides of Iram. What is it? The comms tower at the mines hasn't responded since last night, Ziri said, that pinch between her brows deepening. Gela understood immediately. You're afraid it'll be like the Badlands. It's more than that. I'm afraid the citizens of Erano won't accept me as monarch when the time comes. Not because of Von too, but because I'm not doing enough. <laughs> It must sound silly to a Jedi Knight. Ziri drummed her fingers against her teacup. You're not afraid of anything. The sincerity of the words made Gela smile. <laughs> we have this Jedi Master. He teaches us as younglings. Yoda's his name? One of my earliest recollections was being afraid of the training spheres. What are those? Gela held up a round fruit, roughly the right shape. Imagine if this shot lasers. At children? Laughing, Gela explained. 
<laughs> they tickle, as do our training lightsabers. But I didn't know that. I was always quiet, wandering around the temple halls and trying to find hidden passages or secret tombs. But when it came to practice, I was the first one there. I thought I'd be a natural. But that first day, when I saw that sphere covered in what looked like mechanical eyes, I ran out of the room. Poor little Gela, Ziri said sympathetically. Did they yell at you? Gela blinked at the suggestion. Not at all. Master Yoda found me. He just sat with me in the garden, and we watched this one frog try to leap over a stone wall into a waterfall. It kept missing, miscalculating, falling, getting back up. Then he said, Like that frog, you must be. <laughs> Did you get it eventually? The next day I got hit, right here. Gela tapped her nose. Eventually, though. So yes, much of what Jedi do is confront fear. Feel it. Conquer it. Accept that it is a part of me like anything else. What happens if you can't? Ziri asked. When a beam of light broke through the clouds, Gela could feel her disappointment. Conquer it, I mean. The refrain came so willingly, she could hear it in the voice of Master Arizi Mar. Fear is the path to the dark side. But as Fawn Zen and Axel Greylark climbed onto the deck, she never got to finish. Axel was eavesdropping, Fawn said, sitting beside Ziri. Every morning, Gela noticed, they sat a fraction closer together as their comfort in each other seemed to grow. He smiled widely, then helped himself to breakfast. Axel sat beside Gela, scowling at Fawn too. The pair had developed a strange sort of friendship. Sometimes they'd be sharing in a joke one moment, and the next they'd be shouting. If Axel used the deck sail rung to do pull-ups, Fawn would try to do twice as many. When Axel won, likely cheated, at cards, Fontu would want to play until he won at least one game. At least when they competed to see who could unload more crates, they delivered their rations faster. Good news, Fontu said. Urano's mining tower let us know they were awaiting our arrival in the launch bay. Up ahead, white sandstone homes dotted the side of a sprawling mountain covered in prickly dry brush. A communications tower and hangar bay sat at the top, and the mine entrances were on the other side of the mountain. I don't think I've ever been to a mine, Axel said, biting into a starfruit. What exactly do you dig up? Gems, mostly, Ziri said. The last time I was here was to recruit. This entire street was filled with the families of the workers. Gela craned her head back to look at the tower and the glint of a shuttle landing up there. Are you expecting anyone? Urano has its own security detail, Ziri explained. 
though she reached for the security of her bane blade. I can imagine it's a tempting target for marauders, Axel said, a spark of excitement in his eyes. It's far enough away from a major city. There's only one unit to dispose of, and you've got civilians to use as leverage. Ziri frowned at him. It is disconcerting how quickly you formed that plan. I've had a lot of lives, princess. Something tells me if not for your pedigree, you'd be in prison, Fontu said. No one wants me there, Axel assured them. I'd just run the place in no time. They shared a laugh, though Gela was certain the Coruscant Prince wasn't joking. Axel cast his eyes on the core of his fruit, the table, Ziri, Fontu, before finally landing on Gela. She would not look away first. She hadn't forgotten that he still owed her an answer about his father. She didn't even blink offering him a smile as she picked up the Jogan fruit. He made a disgruntled sound as he lost their staring contest, and she took a bite of the fruit, ripe and sweet. As they rode over the top of the mountain village, the first thing Gela noticed was that there was not a single being there to welcome them. Every other location, no matter a town or a hamlet, had eager crowds waiting to collect their rations. Gela cast a wide net into the force, but Ziri and Fontu's anxiety overshadowed anything else she might sense unless she concentrated. Though she could not feel his emotion, she could see Axel realizing the same thing she had. Where is everyone? he asked. Ziri went to the control podium and coasted the barge to a stop. Gray still clung to the sky, and the wind whistled sharply so high up, the comms tower looked vacant, as did the town's tavern and row of white stone houses. She'd seen a ship land, though the hangar bays were closed. Stay below deck, Gela said sharply. Axel, turn the barge around. We need to leave. He must have seen how serious she was because he didn't even argue, only took the controls from Ziri. Wait a minute, the princess said, turning to Fontu for help. We don't know what's happening. If something is wrong, we need to help. I agree, but we're too exposed, Gillis said, as something hit the Amaryllis. The unmistakable sound of a blaster shot pinging on metal. The barge lurched to a stop. Axel punched the control panel and cursed. Siri and Fontu hit the deck, and Gela scanned the area until she spotted the soldier making a run back to the hangar bay. She grabbed him through the force, and he staggered, remaining in place. Boots tried to drag against the dusty ground, and he fought hard against her will. Another shot was fired this time hitting the deck railing right in front of her. Gela released her hold on the soldier. It was only as he ran for the cover of the hangar across the platform that she realized he hadn't been wearing Arano's red and gray uniform. Gela whirled to Fontu. He's from Iram! The young prince shook his head in denial. 
What? We have a bigger problem. The engine is fried, Axel said, then began to adjust the sails. They could get back down the mountain, coasting on the winds. Gela had the dawning sensation that they'd entered into a trap. She trained her eyes on the hangar bay. Whatever was behind those doors wasn't going to be friendly. The ship she'd seen was another one of Iram's. If they'd wanted a kill shot, there'd be a shooter up top. Ziri nodded, getting to her feet. Or the tower. Someone is going to a lot of trouble to get our attention, Fontu said. The four of them gathered at the port side of the barge facing the bay doors. I would suggest we not give it to them, Axel said, resigned. But I know you won't listen. The metal doors of the hangar rattled open, and a squad of Irami soldiers in white and turquoise uniforms and patina-covered helmets stormed out. Gela counted eight, each carrying a blaster, except the soldier leading the charge. He raised the crackling end of an electrostaff and shouted, We've come for the traitor Fontuzen and Zerial Baron! They're a bit busy at the moment, Axel shouted back. We've got a little wedding gift from Iram! Gela sensed the overwhelming anger in Fontu, then fear as he turned to Ziri. They followed the circle the leader drew around the town center. The missing miners appeared at every threshold, every doorway, standing on the rooftops. Around their chests were strapped blinking devices, detonators. Veins popped at the side of Fontu's throat. Let them go! We'll disarm them as soon as we're en route to the Timekeeper Moon! As long as you come unarmed! This is your only warning! Fontu turned and made for the hatch leading below deck. His resolution was stronger than Durasteel. Ziri's too, as she grabbed his wrist. I won't stop you, the princess explained as he tried to pull away. Together. Even QN1 flitted to Fontu and bumped his dome against the Irami prince's chest. Whoa, wait a moment, Axel said, gesturing between himself and Gela. We're not letting them go off with those lunatics, are we? Gela was desperately torn. They were entrusted with protecting the heirs, yes. But in her heart, Gela would make the same trade without hesitation. It was the only way to buy them time. Fontu clapped Axel's shoulder and flashed a pained smile. You'll just have to come save us. Ziri removed her blaster and her bane blade. Then she and Fontu began their march across the flat mountaintop and into the hangar. Gela calculated the speed they'd have to sail the barge, if they caught the right wind, or if she could jump far enough to get to the bay first. But she'd never jumped that far. Then she saw the small white blur flying right at Fontu's back. Fontu trusts me to save him, Axel said, more in wonder to himself than to her. She wondered who had ever made him feel otherwise. Have faith, Axel, 
he scoffed. <laughs> In what? The Force? Yes, she thought, but also in QN1. She motioned with her gaze and watched his smile unfurl as he saw what she did. In your droid. When Quinn flew undetected into the bay behind Fon 2, the usual mischief returned to Axel's face. He pressed one of the side buttons on his wrist comm link. Hushed voices came through but it was hard to hear against the groaning sound of metal as the hangar roof began to open. We're not going to make it, Axel said. A serene calm fortified Gela as she stepped onto the railing of the barge and extended her hand to him. Do you trust me? He said nothing, and she felt nothing break the shields around his heart and mind, except... He climbed up beside her, squeezed his fingers around hers. She drew strength from the Force, and together, they jumped. Gela steadied their landing as they managed to cover half the distance. They sprinted the rest of the way to the hangar bay. Axel trained his blaster at the hangar lock and took the shot. The panel blew in a shower of sparks, and the door cranked open. Then. It stopped. The space was too small to let them squeeze through. Gela powered up her lightsabers, drove them through the metal, and pushed outward against the resistance of the material until the last threads holding the door together clanged to the floor. It was Quinn who came through the small gate, trilling excited little warbles. Slow down, Axel shouted at his droid. He turned to Gela and said, Ziri and Tuan Tu were taken aboard, but Quinn managed to steal the detonator. Relief washed over Gela as the little droid revealed the trigger stored in its panel. There was no time to lose. She squeezed Axel's arm. You get everyone free. I'm getting on that transport. Gela crawled through the opening she'd made in the hangar door, narrowly missing the blaster shot that landed a meter from her head. An Iremi military transport was taking off, the loading ramp slowly drawing closed as the thrusters engaged. A blue-clad soldier clung to a rung and fired at her. Igniting her lightsaber, she deflected the blasts. Red plasma shots hit the soldier across the chest. Gela looked up to find Axel beside her, pistol drawn. The soldier rolled off the ramp and onto the hangar floor. Gela stirred with lament, but she knew that he would not be the first casualty of the day. Holstering her lightsabers, she then stacked her palms, one on top of the other. I'll boost you up. Predictably, Axel made a face, but he did not argue. Gela buoyed his weight through the force, then jumped behind him. She clung to the edge of the ramp and hefted herself aboard as the vessel listed, trying to shake her off. She saw the red flare of a blaster, followed by a guttural gasp. When the transport made a turn, she rolled across the floor, colliding hard against Axel and the second dead soldier. As they evened out and ascended, the dead body lay across them both. Ugh, this planet is nothing but nightmares. Axel said darkly. Then they 
hefted the unfortunate dead Irami off them. Axel picked up his blaster and covered the entryway. If the entire squad had gotten aboard, there would still be six left. Gela removed the soldier's helmet. She felt a pang of dread. She'd seen the woman before. Auburn hair, amber eyes, just like Ceres, stared into nothingness. None of the distinct green freckles many Irami had. Because this girl was not Irami. She was a servant in the monarch's household. She'd been there that day. So nervous she'd spilled Gela's drink. What had the leader of the captors called the moon? The Timekeeper Moon? That's what it was called here. The Jedi stared at the helmet in her hands as realization dawned on her. The turquoise flecks of patina along the arched metal spaces for the eyes. There was a groove along the brow, charred at the edges as if from a fatal blast to the head. What is it? These soldiers are not from Iram, Gela said. This is an Iram military transport, and that is an Iram uniform, so then who in the bowels of Coruscant is it? When he was done shouting, Axel blinked at the ceiling. She followed his gaze to the graffiti scrawled across it. It read, Children of Arano. Chapter 22, Urano Village, Arano. Ziri Albarin was falling, not in body, but in her mind. She dreamed of her brother's face, Marlo shouting at her. Imposter! Traitor! She dreamed of Fontu Zen, covered in scorpions, his smile like the sickle of a moon. Filefire maid. Even the dissenters had called him. Get up! Her father's voice roused her. Then it transformed. Get up! Still familiar, but not her father. The owner of that voice kicked her. Head spinning, she blinked Rev Farrell's face into view. All at once, she remembered where she was. In the commotion, she thought she'd seen QN1, and then, well, it all became fuzzy after that. But she was alive in the stolen Irami transport. She'd recognized Rev's voice from the years he'd flown in her squadron. She searched the hold, currently used for weapons, and for them. Fontu was beside her, Something frantic and urgent slammed into her when she realized he was still. Too still. She tried to go to his side to check his pulse, but her wrists were clamped with binders. Relax, princess, Reb said. He's alive. Ziri had never longed to challenge someone to a right so badly before. Why are you doing this? Reb's brown hair was matted at the temples. The olive undertone of his skin was cross-hatched with scars she hadn't seen before the ceasefire. For Arano, Captain Albaran, 
he said mockingly. After that dogfight from a ceasefire you orchestrated, I woke up in the med bay with orders to go home. That's it. Go home. You are done. What would you have us do, Rev? Ziri seethed. Fight forever? Until we are dust and they are drowned? Yes. The venom in his voice terrified her. The others who were part of these children of Arano weren't fighters. She could see that from the way they handled their blasters. But Rev was, and he relished it. No matter. Only the true children of Arano understand. Is that what you do? Strap bombs on our own people and kidnap the monarch's daughter? <laughs> she laughed at him. Focusing his attention on her, she could hear fighting in the other rooms, and hoped and prayed to the old gods that it was Axel and Gela, and that they were winning. You're a fool. A fool you've underestimated. Rev crouched on the floor before her. There was a disturbing sort of calm about the way he blinked, the way his lips split his face into a smile. He leaned close to her ear and confessed, I killed Gerard Sagaru. She breathed hard, biting down on her lower lip to stop it from trembling. Her eyes burned with anger. She remembered seeing Sigaru's body on Fontu's bed. How he hadn't fought back because he'd known the man who shot him. They'd blamed Braxen because it felt like the only problem they could solve and the family needed closure. You framed the guard! Ziri kicked hard, but he was ready for her and moved aside. He eased back. Me? Well, I had help. My father has such a way with words. Viceroy Farrell. She remembered the man's words to her the day she proposed to Fontu. You'll pay for this. Why? Gerard was a good soldier. The best, honestly. But he'd always be loyal to you. And you are compromised, Ziri. I'm taking you home. Some of us are willing to give our lives for the cause you forsook. Ziri laughed again, unable to control the fear that raked down her throat. She laughed because she'd reached her breaking point. Rev was every one of her fears come to life unquenchable anger, an endless cycle of war. How did she fight that? Everyone is willing. She lifted her chin at the parachute he was wearing. She hadn't noticed until that moment. Just not you. Rev slapped her hard, losing himself to his own fear. I am the bigger picture. You're a fool. She repeated, licking the blood that spilled from a crack on her bottom lip. What will you do when people investigate? When the transport is recovered? Maybe I will be dead. But whoever is with us will be children playing dress-up. 
It won't matter. Those in Urano will tell the story of the day Iram threatened their lives and kidnapped their princess. The sounds of fighting were getting closer. Rev looked over his shoulder, and she saw the desperation of someone in such a hurry to win that they became careless, and careless people made mistakes. You'd rather go through all of this than challenge me? Rev's grin vanished. I've already won. Land this shuttle, she taunted. Fight me to the death, like the first families of Arano. Isn't that how our stories go? The line of Albaran unseated the lesser ferals? The thing was, she saw the spark of temptation there, only for a moment and then his false sense of victory returned. But over Rev's shoulder, she could see a familiar figure stand in the doorway. She never thought she'd ever be so thankful to see Axel Greylark's face. She truly hoped she understood the ridiculous hand gestures he made and threw herself on the ground. When Axel took the shot, Rev moved to the side and the blast hit the spot right over her head. She could smell the burn against metal, the sweat on her skin. Rev whirled on Axel and slammed his stolen helmet upward. Greylark bellowed in pain. Ziri rammed her boot upward, kicking at the back of Rev's knees just as Gela rushed into the room, lightsabers drawn. The violet light hummed as she crossed the blades under Rev's chin. Don't worry, princess, he said. He'd been in her squadron, Thylefire 13. They'd grown up together, and she'd seen his twisted anger and told herself it would pass. You always taught me not to go into a fight without a way out. He raised his fist and pressed the top button of a trigger. The door of the cargo bay blasted open, and the ship shuddered. A torrent of wind filled the cargo hold, dragging everything not bolted down straight out of the hole. Prepared for it, he'd gripped a metal rung on the ceiling and dived out feet first without looking back. Ziri watched Gela use her Jedi magic to barricade the door with weapons crates, the suction of the wind keeping them in place even as they began to plummet. Who's flying the transport? Ziri shouted. Autopilot, Axel said, the lower half of his face covered in blood. While Gela freed them of their binders, Axel grabbed the parachutes. Ziri took Fontu, pressing her hand on the sides of his face. Get up, she thought. Get up, get up. His eyes blinked awake slowly, then all at once, taking in their situation. Did you get the detonator? Yes, Axel assured him. Now we just have to get off this transport. I'm changing coordinates so it crashes in the middle of nowhere instead of the capital. You're both pilots. Can you land it? Gela asked Ziri and Axel. Greylark opened a control panel and assessed the damage to the ship. He blew a hole through it, and I'm good, but not that good. I'm glad you've learned some humility, Fontu said. 
I'm glad my inappropriate sense of humor is rubbing off on you, Axel shot back. But we have another slight problem. We're going to have to jump, Ziri shouted over the rattle of the vessel. She opened the latch to the compartment stowing the parachutes. She looped her arms inside one and secured it, then tossed another to Fontu. When she grabbed a third one, she froze. What is it? Fontu asked, buckling the harness around his torso. That's the only one left. She held the last parachute in her hand. Axel opened other compartments, but they were empty. For the first time since she'd met the Coruscant Prince, he seemed nervous. All it took was the fear of death. I can hold you, or he can hold you, Ziri shouted, gesturing between herself and Axel. Gela closed her eyes. Her dark lashes fluttered in that way of hers when she meditated at dawn. She turned to Axel and said, put it on. He looked down at the vest Ziri shoved against his chest and blinked. What? The shuttle tilted downward, and they slid onto what were the walls. There are too many variables, Gela said. This is the only way. At least three of us make it back. Let me do what I was assigned to do. She raised her fingers and moved crates out of the way to give them an escape. Gela turned to Axel again and shouted, Put the vest on now! Axel moved mechanically. Ziri had seen that look on the faces of soldiers before, had experienced it herself. It was like walking in a dream, your body not truly yours. Go! Gela squeezed Ziri's hand like a metal claw and shoved Fontu out the door. Make for Yorona! Then that great invisible force that Gela always talked about, Ziri felt it, like a pressure against her chest. Gela's promise and faith. And then it was gone, as Ziri fell in earnest through her Arano skies. Gela pressed her body to the wall, right beside the gaping hole in the hold. Axel, jump! I can't hold back these crates much longer! Why? You don't even like Jedi, she said. A terrified, trilling laugh escaped her. She didn't think she'd ever made that sound before. It felt good, like a release. I need to tell you! They were losing altitude. He looked around desperately, but he knew it was too late. Gela grabbed him by the collar and shoved him out of the breach in the hull. She believed the Force would carry her friend safely to the ground. Now it was her turn. She'd fallen from great heights in the past, had leapt off the edge of a cliff in a trust fall, and the person she'd been testing had been herself. But this was a new sensation. And instead of fear, she found excitement. Gelanatai had never considered herself a daredevil before, but in this moment, the word felt right. Her place in the Force felt right, with nothing between them but trust, no expectations. 
She watched the rocky ground come closer and closer. She couldn't leap too soon or too late. The force did not speak to her, but she felt its nudge. Now, Gelanatai took the leap. When Fontu Zen landed, he found himself situated about halfway up the mountain. Everything hurt. He supposed that was a good sign. It meant he was alive. He patted his entire body down, then unbuckled the parachute and tested the strength of his legs. He wanted to thank his lucky stars, but he knew his gratitude belonged to Galanatai. He knew the Jedi well enough to know that she would have said, thank the Force instead. As he scanned the cloudy sky for Ziri and Axel, he begged the Force, prayed to it the way his mother Odelia still prayed to the god Krell, though he supposed Gela had said that wasn't what it was like at all. He squinted against the sun and noticed that new green and brown freckles had sprouted across the tawny brown skin of his arms. He hadn't noticed before how Erino's son had brought out his most distinct trait from Iram. He felt the urge, the need to tell Ziri. Then he heard the crunch of rocks behind him. It was one of the Erini desert creatures with long necks and great black antlers. It hopped up the side of the mountain. Make for Urano, Gela had said. The comms tower was silhouetted at the top of the mountain. He cast one last glance behind, then marched forward. He had to trust that Ziri would find her way there. Luck, the Force, Krell. Perhaps it was all the same thing in some ways. Fontu trekked up the mountain toward Ziri and toward his future. The town called it a miracle. Ziri Albaran remembered sailing through the sky. She did not remember landing or even getting up. The next thing she remembered was being surrounded by every being in Urano. The town had survived. Now the town was embracing her. Reunited families hugged one another, while a hairy, rodent-faced Tintinna raced across the village searching for her missing husband. The buildings and the tower remained intact. The Amaryllis was still parked exactly where they'd left it. And beyond it, Fontu Zen made his way on shaky legs. It seemed she always noticed his smile first. She ran to join him the rest of the way, propelling herself into his solid embrace. Ziri couldn't remember the last time anyone had held her this way, like she was safe. But she couldn't let herself scratch at the meaning of that touch. Not yet. A third figure appeared on the curved road that led to the top of the mountain. Gela! Ziri shouted. The Jedi Knight appeared unharmed, though covered in grime. Fontu pulled her into their shared embrace and wild relief. When she pulled back, Gela's palm was pressed firmly against her chest, not in injury, but in some sort of silent Jedi prayer or thanks. Ziri watched her friend's eye take in the town, searching each face, 
He isn't here yet, Ziri said. And I haven't seen Quinn. Probably managed to find a Sabak tournament happening exactly where he crashed, Fontu said, but his chuckle was hollow. Ziri felt a tendril of shame at how she underestimated Greylark, but that was tempered by everything that needed her attention. As battered as they were, there was no time to rest. We have to return to the Rook, Ziri said, and tell the monarch of this new threat. I want to question Viceroy Pharaoh myself before he plays to my father's loyalty and weasels his way out. We won't go anywhere until we repair the barge, Fontu said. As they assessed their damages, a Mon Calamari woman approached. Dark purple spots dotted the sides of her head, likely from living on the sun-drenched planet. Around her neck was a sort of climate regulator that puffed a tiny cloud of mist. Captain Albarin, take the stars, you're safe. Ziri took the Moncala's claw-tipped hands in hers. I am Ayana Pierce, Marshal of Yorona. Ziri introduced Fawn too and Gela, and quickly explained their situation. What is the galaxy coming to? The Moncala lamented. While we await the fate of those still missing, we must tend to your wounds and your barge. Fontu used his hand to shield his eyes as the sun reached its zenith. Didn't you say there was a patrol ship stationed here? Recalled to the war effort some time ago, Ayana said. Another puff emitted from her climate regulator. We patrol the tower ourselves, though Eurona has been less tempting to brigands since the mines have not yielded in some time. You've seen the reports. Ziri had not. She'd been busy with recruitment, with resorting to buying water from smugglers because merchants wouldn't come to a war zone. She'd been trying to find a way out of this. Now that she had, they would have to turn their attention to the parts of Arano that had been left behind. In the meantime, the Mon Calamari said, we will hold a remembrance for those lost. Come! We have a Metroid scanning for injuries. Ziri was about to refuse. They still had to unload cargo, fix the barge. But she also needed to be at her best. This fight was not over. What's a remembrance? Fontu asked at her side. They walked at a slow pace behind the Moncala who was fascinated with the presence of the Jedi and pulled Gela into a conversation. It's a celebration for the dead, Ziri explained, looking into the weary faces that bowed in respect as they passed by. Sometimes it's only among family, but in rural areas, the whole town comes together. They tell stories of the dead, sing their favorite songs, cook their favorite meals, Harder to keep up during wartime. We have something like that. Only it's one day a year, and the whole of Iram celebrates. She would like to see it someday soon. Though, given their journey so far, 
she worried about what was waiting for them on Iram. When Gela stopped walking abruptly, Ziri reached for her weapon before remembering it was on the barge. She'd seen that look on the Jedi before, the warning that meant something was approaching. From the road snaking to and from the mines emerged Axel Greylark. He walked slowly. At first, she thought he carried his parachute with him, but as he drew closer, she finally saw what he carried, and a scream slashed through the noise of the crowd. The Tintinna woman, who'd been searching for her husband, pushed her way toward the dead body bundled in Axel's arms. As the red sun yielded to the night, the mourners of Eurona gathered in Siggy's tavern. Ziri and Fontu sat with the families, telling stories of the small Tintinna and the tower guard, both killed by the children of Arano. Gela hadn't seen Axel since he'd been scanned by the Meddroid and couldn't shake the feeling that he shouldn't be alone. Still, Every time she thought of going to search for him, she remembered how he'd wanted to be alone after the night at the caves. Gela tucked herself into a corner booth and nursed a drink called a stinger. She'd watched the bartender make it by pouring amber iazacal liquor and adding a drop of some red syrup extracted from filefire scorpion blood. The drink was strong enough to make her eyes burn when she merely brought the glass to her lips, and then it burned again, going down her esophagus. An acquired taste! Ayana Pierce, the Mon Calamari marshal of the town, joined Gela in the dimly lit booth. Gela offered the marshal a warm smile. Earlier, they'd eaten bowls of puffed rice, gravy, and little purple beans Gela had no name for. She'd eaten ravenously, despite the spices making her nose run. Marshal Pierce coughed, then pressed the button of her climate regulator. <coughs> Pardon me. This desert air doesn't always agree with me. Perhaps Iram's climate might suit you better. Gela suggested. Oh, I tried, the Moncala said ruefully. But the fighting had broken out, and there was a blockade. Erido needed workers in the quarries and mines since they drafted everyone else. Beings came from all over the galaxy. Many left again when the drought set in. <laughs> Why did you stay? Gela asked curiously. You might not understand. You Jedi are not rooted to anything. Your warriors always going here and there. I've now had the pleasure of meeting two Jedi in my life, but it is not so easy to pick up and go. Another puff of humid air made her voice phlegmier. Kella waited patiently for the Moncala to continue. <laughs> when I left Montcala because of our old civil war, I thought the farther I went, the better I could escape it. But here, there, <laughs> I cannot escape it. 
All I can do is root myself like coral trees and live through it. Because the only other choice is not living. Gela considered the Marshal's words. Home is not so simple for a Jedi. But we are not an army of warriors. We're guardians. We fight when we are called to. When we must defend the lives of others. Fighting for peace is like coming to the desert for rain said a human woman, sliding into the seat beside the marshal. You will wait forever. She had startled eyes and hair pulled back into a tight braid. Gela sensed the apprehension as the woman looked the Jedi up and down. Farther into the tavern, the singing had turned to dancing. Don't mind, Carla. Marshal Piercey said apologetically. Her pessimism is not contagious, I promise. Kala sucked her teeth and glowered at Gela. It is not pessimism to know something is true. My truth is that nothing changes down here in the dust. But up there, She pointed a scrawny finger to the ceiling. Up there, you Jedi change things. Gela realized the woman was talking about her, but she did not understand. What do you mean? Gala, stop it! The Mon Cala chastened her. Go sleep it off before you insult our guests with the ramblings of strangers! Kala shot to her feet, but Gela sensed no real threat, and so did not move. The woman's pinched face gave way to a deep, unshakable bitterness that no words from the Jedi could soothe. She did not want it. What, strangers? Gela asked. The marshal gave a weary sigh, then flagged the bartender for another drink. Travelers from a system, Dalna, I believe, called themselves the Path of the Open Hand. They offered a better way of life away from all of this, and away from the influence the Jedi have with the Force. Gela had never heard of such a group before. Even on the sacred moon Jedha, where sects of Force wielders and worshippers coexisted. She'd have to ask Masters Roy and Son if they'd ever heard of the outlandish claim. What else did they say? She pressed. The Marshal knocked back her drink, a drop of amber liquid running down one of her chin barbels. <laughs> Only that the Force does not belong to the Jedi. We have never made such a claim. We find balance in the Force. I would not worry, young Jedi. Many of the younger ones in the town left with them, but I think their families would have done anything to have them escape the draft. She looked back to the heirs, being pulled into the dancing. I do look forward to a new age for Erano. 
With that, the Moncala left Gela to join the dancing. Gela did not dance, and